stationary. Y'all know I love to take notes. I love to write. I love to write on paper. I love to write in notebooks. Matt, what'd you give me for Christmas this year? I got you notebooks and pens and organizers. Correct. I love it. Uh, and I find that it genuinely helps me remember things better as opposed to typing them or like putting them on a, like a text file or whatever. Actually writing something down physically helps me a lot. It helps me organize my thoughts. It helps me get my work done. And ever since I got my new uh, iPad and I got the Apple Pencil with it, I have been doing that on there, and that's great. The only problem I've had with it, it doesn't quite feel like writing on paper, which is a feeling I like. We have the solution to that problem. That's right. Paper-like. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it's a screen protector for your iPad. It uses a proprietary technology called nanodots. With those nanodots, you feel the natural resistance of paper on your iPad screen. It is a paper-like feeling on your iPad. So if you're drawing, if you're taking notes, if you're using your iPad like you would a notebook, here's the way for it to really feel natural. And Chris, I know you love that. You you have an iPad, you've got a paper-like and I'm sure it's, it feels just right for you. It does. It feels great to use. Also, Matt, you know I'm very particular about paper. I have yes. specific brands of notebooks that I will and will not use. And paper, like, feels good on the iPad. Uh, they also make accessories for the pencil to make the pencil a little more comfortable to hold. They make uh, accessories to help you clean the iPad as well. They've got it all. The ability to handwrite notes in a digital form is great to begin with, but getting that extra tactile feeling that makes me happy while I do it, <laughs> that gives me that little dopamine, that little serotonin burst that I like to have, is fantastic. The latest version of the Paperlike is manufactured in Switzerland using high-quality plastic foils designed for maximum picture clarity. You're not going to lose any of the definition of your iPad screen if you put a paper-like on there. And these foils are developed exclusively for paper-like products. It also always comes in a set of two, so you have a spare. Look, we know a lot of artists listen to this show. If you're an artist and you're looking for a way to make drawing on your iPad feel a little bit better, this is how you do it. So, to pick up your paper-like, head over to paperlike.com slash Ajax, click Buy Paper-like, and select your iPad size. From now, right now, until the end of January, Paperlike is also including their Digital Pro Planner Bundle at no extra cost for every order placed through the Paperlike store. Plus, shipping is completely free. So if you're ready to do more with your iPad, head over to paperlike.com Ajax to get started. Hi, everybody. This is Kelly's Ketchup. My name is Matt Wilson. 
And with me, as always, is my co-host in this endeavor, Chris Sims. Do I have to do a radio voice? No, I just thought it would be fun. I, look, if you, I, I'm, I'm in it. If you have, if you want to. I mean, bits are back, so bits are back, baby. Bits, Matt, they're back. Bits are back. Yeah, baby, the bits have returned. We're catching up on something fun this week, everybody. Yes, we this, are. This one, this month, it's not going to be like last time. <laughs> it's not going to be like last time. We did not finish. Excalibur. I think we could probably rank what we read of Excalibur. Yeah, probably. Like, we got through to basically the end of the cross-time caper, so I think we could be safe ranking, what was it, Excalibur 1 through... 18. 1 through 18, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that would be fine. So maybe we can do that at the end of the episode. But there are multiple stories in there. Like, there's the Inferno tie-in, this cross-time caper. I think if we're going to rank one, we should rank cross-time caper. Okay, that's that seems fair. Yeah, that's the major story of that of that run. But we ran a poll. We had discussed just giving up on Excalibur and reading Al Ewing's Ultimates instead because we got some feedback. On the Excalibur episode, that <laughs> it wasn't necessarily fun for people to listen to, and that it doesn't get any better in what's to come. So, we did a poll. The poll started as very lopsided toward Ultimates, and Ultimates never it, it never went back and forth between who was winning, but it did end up being only I think like an eight point margin. Mm-hmm of Ultimates winning out. But we were advised in our War Rocket Ajax poll to bring Ultimates into the fray. And I will say, I enjoyed this 12 issues of comics very thoroughly. Oh yeah, uh, I would say 1 million percent. This is the Ultimates series from 2015, I believe? Yes, it starts in 2015, because it starts immediately after Secret Wars. Secret Wars is the catalyst for this book to start. And it is written by Al Ewing. Most of the art is by Kenneth Roquefort. Uh, There's a little bit of fill-in art in some of the later issues. And and you say fill-in art, but we get, like, very solid, like, appropriate choices for for fill-in artists, because we get Christian Ward doing a lot of the Galactus stuff. Christian Ward does the final issue, the whole final issue. Mm -hmm. A lot of the other issues that have fill-in artists, Kenneth Roquefort is still doing some of the art in those issues. It's just there are other artists coming in and doing a handful of pages. Um, And it's a very different style. I got a... going to look up who that artist is, because I think it was mostly the same artist throughout. Um, but it's a very different art style, but I liked it. I It wasn't inappropriate for the book. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Yeah, this is, this is who it is. It is uh, Jabril Morissette, who's doing a lot of the fill-in art. Very different style from Roquefort, but 
still works really well for the book. Yeah, I think so. Now, th- this is kind of one big story for the 12 issues, but it does go to some different places. There's like different threads going through the book throughout the whole thing. Like we've got the Galactus story where he becomes the life bringer through the first three or four issues. Then we move on to the story about Blue Marvel and Anti-Man. Uh-huh. That goes for a couple issues, and that thread runs through the rest of the series. Uh, and then we get a couple issues of Thanos showing up. And then it all culminates in the last, I'd say, three issues or so, which are also tied into Civil War Two. So we get the boy, the boy who can see the future, Ulysses, in the book for a bit. We we sure do, and and, and no lizards around to help us out with that. Did uh, did I cover all the threads pretty much, Chris? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, like it's. I, I will say this: it definitely becomes a Civil War two tie-in, and it suddenly becomes a Civil War two tie-in, and and all of a sudden the team is has a source of conflict beyond what is expected. But the, the the tone of the book changes pretty substantially, I think, by the time it becomes a Civil War two tie-in. Yes, I don't think it turns bad. I just think it becomes a different animal because. Mm-hmm. The book in the first, say, eight issues has this incredible forward momentum where you it's 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 like a runaway train level of momentum where you're just along for the ride. Mm -hmm. It it is very much like a like I I mean, I know that it is always fun for. Uh, creators to get compared to each other, but like there's some full on Morrisonian stuff going on in here. Like uh, when Galactus has an argument with order and chaos. Yeah. I, I don't think Morrisonian is a bad comparison. However, I also think that it's a different kind of barreling forward for forward momentum. Than than in a Morrison thing, it's it's more just like okay, this is happening now. Um, like the thing where I think it's an issue two, where the Ultimates, without us ever seeing the discussion, have decided that they're going to try to get Galactus, Galen of Ta, That's to right. the survivor of the sixth universe, yeah, to his final form. Basically, they're trying to get him to his full evolution. And they already know everything that it's going to take to do that. Mm-hmm. We do not see the process or the decision-making that goes into figuring out how this is going to happen. They, We just see them doing it. I would say in the course of three two-page spreads... We go from the Ultimates team, uh, which is the Ultimate team to solve the Ultimate problems. Yeah, you know, that's why they're called the Ultimates. Which is great. Yes, I love it. 
in those three two-page spreads, we go from the team confronting Galactus to them using a big old hunk of ISO-8 to overcharge Photon, Monica Rambo into essentially tackling Galactus into his, like, incubator cube mm-hmm. and making him into a golden life bringer Galactus. It just, it happens so fast. I can, I, in any other comic, in any other comic called Ultimates, mm-hmm. that would be a 12-issue story. Yeah, very much so. It, they Al Ewing knocks it out in two. Yeah, and I really like you know we we had a conversation recently you and I about uh, beginning a story in media race and how it can be a really uh, useful technique, but it can also if it's not pulled off right, it can be distracting, and you're going to be spending all of your time wondering why you didn't just get the story in order. Uh, this I think does it so well because it is a surprise to everyone except the members of the team that they are going to fix Galactus. Like they're not going out to kill him. Cause you know, we, we hear from the start, it's like, yeah, we're going, we found Galactus out in space. We're going to solve this ultimate problem. And there's people in the book who talk to, to Carol Danvers and to T'Challa. And they're like, Hey, please don't do this. So everyone is expecting that they're going to go, and like fight Galactus and the reveal that they're actually going out there to uh, put him back in his egg in the Galactus egg. That's right. Yeah. They're going to put him back in the Galactus egg for a little bit. Cause Matt, sometimes he, you just got to go back to the Galactus egg. Sometimes your Galactus is underdone. Yeah. And you got, got, you got to cook him up a little bit. He got to go back in the oven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Sometimes your Galactus has a soggy bottom and you gotta, as Mary Berry would say, uh, cook him up a little more. Yeah, T'Challa looking at Galactus, and he's like, that's a bad bake. <laughs> that's a real bad bake. I'm sorry, it's underdone. I, I think we hinted at this a bit, but not only just like the sort of incredible ambitiousness of this book. Like, if I had one major criticism of it, it would be that it it's, at times it is too ambitious. Mm-hmm. It m- maybe extends beyond its reach. But I would prefer that so much to a story that meets out its story in tiny, tiny little spoonfuls. You oh, know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, like, but way better to have too much story than not enough. And... This definitely has that. Um, But also, I really appreciate all its efforts to take all the Mark Miller Ultimate stuff and make it work, one, in the Marvel Universe, and two, explain it. Like, make it not just a cool thing, but a cool thing with a purpose. Yes. Like the Triskelion. But it's not just a cool building where the ultimates meet it's the wakandan embassy yeah and the headquarters for the ultimates and it's a prison where they keep thanos <laughs> yeah like it has a purpose that, that isn't just like well don't they already have avengers tower well it's like yeah but this this other building is this other thing that has a different purpose 
And I kind of love that. Yeah, it's it's really it's really done well. Let me ask you a question, Chris. I wish you would, Matt. Do you think the book gets derailed by the Civil War II stuff? Not, not in the the worst way, uh, which definitely sounds like damning with faint praise. But like, I have seen books get completely like sideswiped by crossovers. Yeah, you know, like, like I always think about um, the the Edgar Baker Catwoman run. Which is spending like two years, two or three years building this romance between Selena and Slam Bradley, and then Hush happens, and so it's yeah. like, well, <laughs> that's out the window. Yeah. But in this, again, it's sudden and it's an abrupt shift. But given the characters, given what's happening in the book, it makes sense because that the first Civil War two tie in is when we get the flashback to how the team is put together. And we get what everybody wanted out of the team. There's uh, an idea that this is not going to be a traditional super team. There's not going to be a leader. Uh, They're they're a cooperative. They're cooperative. That they're going to be dealing with problems in ways that go beyond just fighting. And then I went ahead and and read ahead because I I think we're going to end up doing Ultimates 2 or Ultimates Squared. I I think we probably will. I, I don't know if we'll do it next time. I'll include it in the poll for the next one, uh, but I, I have a feeling that we will we will also rank Ultimates too. Yeah, and I, I went and read the first issue of that, and one of the first things that is said, uh, like one of the first things T'Challa says is, "Yeah, the second we started acting like a normal superhero team, it was over." And yeah. I feel like that's an interesting progression because the, it does play out consequences. And it also the idea of uh, you know using Ulysses to go and and minority report people, it becomes a debate between Carol and T'Challa, where Carol's like, "Hey, we're supposed to solve the ultimate problems. What is more ultimate than this?" And you get a really good you get a really good shift that I think is, is true to the characters. In a way that it would not be otherwise. I, I think there's a bit of dealing with the Civil War II stuff. For lack of a, of a better way of describing Civil War II, the mm-hmm. sort of manufactured conflict of it. You know? Where Carol has to be the leader of the one side that wants to use Ulysses and his powers mm-hmm. to you know, solve crimes before they happen or stop world destroying stuff before it happens. Right. I do admire this book's attempt at making Carol a little more conflicted than I thought she was in the actual civil war two series Mm -hmm. where she's like, Hey, I don't exact, I don't exactly like this either, but I'm just trying to like prevent an awful, awful thing from happening. I'm kind of backed into a corner here. It's not like I'm a hardliner. I'm just trying to do what I think is best and right. Yeah. And I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, It is very – this is clearly a book where Carol Danvers is a character because if you'll remember, Civil War II was, was Carol versus Tony. And we never see Iron Man in this book at all. He's, only, see, he's only talked about. 
he's only talked about, and we just see Carol kind of dealing with the uh, consequences of what she's doing on her own. Which I think is, it, it plays with it really well. Uh, and again, that's not to say that, like, you know, it certainly is in the middle of a story where they're dealing with a bunch of cosmic stuff. Because we talked about Galactus. We did not talk about the Infinite. Yeah, the Infinite is like a little side story that happens in the midst of some of these other stories. But I love the thing with the Infinite. It, it is it is pretty much exactly the Galactus story, but in uh, in miniature. Mm-hmm. Because, again, it is this perceived cosmic threat that the Ultimates then, instead of fighting it or destroying it, they help it. Yeah. Because there's this extra-dimensional being who's coming to Earth, and he shows up, like, just every now and then. Uh, because this is where we get, like, bits and pieces of Blue Marble's history as well. He's a Reed Richards who exists in the sliding time scale now. <laughs> like, he becomes a he becomes the Blue Marvel, uh, Adam Brashear, in 1961. Like, he like he is there for, like, real-time 1961, and then he just doesn't age. So, between... Or, I guess he, he ages very slowly. Very slowly. Because he does talk about being 80. He's in his 80s, but he looks like... Hair. He looks like he's maybe 50. He looks like Reed Richards. He's got great he's, temples. He's got the great, yeah. the great temples, yeah. yeah. Uh, but he talks about... Um, like oh, basically between 1961 and whenever 13 years ago was, because the FF went to space in 2006. That's when that happened. He was the one dealing with all like the weird Marvel Universe stuff. Uh, he was you know doing weird super science stuff. Like there's a mention like he's he's the first time we see the Infinite, it's a flashback to like the 80s or something. And his kids are adults by that point, so yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, yeah, we see him with his son, and his son mentions like like we get a villain name like Doctor Shadow or something. <laughs> like it's, and I say it like that because it does have a K in it. Uh, but yeah, so clearly there's a larger career of the Blue Marvel that exists and is just not a thing we saw. Which I like. I think that's a, I think it's a really cool way to play that out. It, it gives the character an air of mystery and also authority mm-hmm. that I really like in him. Like we got the Blue Marvel for panel president, and we weren't able to rank him because I, we hadn't read enough with him in it. I think we could probably rank him once we read Ultimates Two. Yeah, and but right now I really like him. I think he could go in a very comfortable spot on the panel president list. I think he's a great idea for like a twist on a Reed Richards, but, but he's also not Reed Richards. I mean, he's, he's, he's an incredibly smart super scientist guy with great temples, but he's also got like an entirely different set of powers and he's got this air of seniority, I guess Mm -hmm. that, Really, nobody else aside from maybe like Nick Fury uh, has in the Marvel Universe. Like, he's like half Reed Richards, half Nick Fury. 
Yeah, but I think the the Reed Richards comparison is, I mean, A, Grey Temples, but, you know, he's a super scientist who does stuff with his family and seems like more of an adventurer than a traditional superhero. So I think he, you know, in the same way that post-crisis, we had Iron Monroe, who was brought in to be like the Golden Age Superman, like all the stuff that Superman did in the Golden Age, that was actually Iron Monroe now. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I feel like he's meant to fit it, like fill in. In the in the sliding timescale terms. By the way, I'm looking at that issue right now, and uh, uh, you sure you're up for this? You're still recovering from Doctor Scorpion's Shadow Ray, <laughs> uh, and yes, Doctor Scorpion. Scorpion is also spelled with a K. Oh, uh, that's great. It's good stuff. So here's what I think the book, how the book suffers most from being a Civil War II tie-in for the last. Mm-hmm. It's really the last six issues of the twelve, but. Really, certainly the last three or four. There are times in the first few issues where it's like, man, this is going quick, you know? But Mm -hmm. you don't feel like you missed anything. There are definite gaps in the last few issues where you're expected to have read Civil War II. Yes, absolutely. Like, between 11 and 12, Black Panther has essentially turned on or or publicly disavowed Carol Danvers. Right. Which is not something we saw in the events of this book. That happens in the Civil War II event. Mm-hmm. There's also a thing where, like, because this book moves so quickly, there are ideas where I'm like, wait, no, go back to that. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, I'm particularly talking about uh the the man who whose job it is to monitor the ultimates philip nelson voked who i believe is he, is he the shadow man is that what he's called it's something like that yeah uh i cuz i love that idea i love the idea of like the shadowy figure watching this this uh super team that seems to be extending its reach too far. Mm-hmm. They're, they're making people uncomfortable. And also cosmic entities. Uh, like, like they get a talking to about uh, changing Galactus, or I guess Galactus himself gets a talking to mm-hmm. from Order and Chaos about having been changed. Yeah, baby. Uh, that's, that's pretty great. Oh, he's the man in the shadows. That's what he's yeah. called. The Shadow Man is uh, the name that uh, they have given to the unseen and completely imaginary person who controls Paul Blart's life <laughs> in uh, in Paul Blart Mall Cop. Also, he's uh, he's a New Orleans superhero who plays a the saxophone. There you go. But I like I love that idea, and I feel like there was so much more to explore with it. I. I suspect that there might be more of that in Ultimates 2. But it, that is that is maybe the most Morrison-y thing about it. Yeah. Where, like, this big idea, big idea gets introduced, the surface is barely scratched, and then it moves on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, again, I'd, I'd rather that than overstaying your welcome, beating a dead horse, whatever idiom you want to use. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it definitely, and I again, I have experience with this. It feels like they needed to 
get a lot done before the reboot. Yeah. You know, like Al Ewing was like, well, there's, I need to get this, this, and this in place. Because what happens in the reboot, in the first issue of Ultimates 2, because it does very much flow from this. The Ultimates are disbanded. Right. At the end of this series. So I think we can mark that as, you know, 1 to 12, I think, is a complete story. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, Act 2, second story, begins as uh, the the Anti-Man is now the Herald of Life. Yeah, that happens at the very, very end of this, in the epilogue of this series. Yeah, you got it. Uh, so he goes and recruits the Ultimates, <laughs> because they have brushed up against uh, terrible cosmic awareness. And so they are recruited again as a team, but this time like working for Galactus, who I assume is going to have them go uh, free Eternity from chains. Because, folks, uh, you might not know that Eternity is chained up. Eternity, like the universe? It definitely feels like the book has to pivot away from that Mm -hmm. because of the Civil War stuff. Because that's set up real big in the Galactus story. It is the problem. Well, in the this first, comic. first Galactus is the problem. Then Galactus finds out that Eternity has been chained. And he's like, hold up. Hold H- up. Hold up. Who chained Eternity? Yeah. And then it has to just like kind of dip away from that to do all this Civil War II business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bingo. Uh, okay. So have we talked enough about these 12 issues? I, I think it has come through that we liked them a good bit. Yeah, I I think it's just stellar. Uh, it, it's got, it, it, I mean, it is every single issue of this book has that Marvel Comics bullshit in it. It has that Marvel Comics bullshit. It is also, it does a lot of things that you can only kind of do in modern comics. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, it's very modern. It's very 2010s. Mm-hmm. In that it, it's reflexive. It's, it's part of the prismatic age, so to speak. It also tries very hard to tread new ground. And it tries to do something that isn't just regular old beat 'em up fight the bad guy comics. Like it reflects comics of old while trying very hard to be something new and accomplishing it for the most part. <clears throat> like in that way, it's very similar to Mr. Miracle, which we have at number four on the list. It is not Mr. Miracle good. But I think it is an exemplar of comics coming out right now in the way that Mr. Miracle is. It, it definitely is of the same school, you know? Uh, but I do uh, – saying that it's not Mr. Miracle good – like, I mean, obviously it's not. This is not going to go at number three on the list. But also, it's such a completely different book. Like, this book is is not trying to explore what Mr. Miracle is exploring. It's – Yeah, it does, not have the, it does not have the heavy themes. 
Yeah, it's building. I'll tell you what it's doing is it's building what should be the new kind of superhero team. You know, like we had we had a superhero team archetype for a very long time. And and we really had two. And they were the the Justice League. Here's all here's all your faves fighting big problems. Uh that's the archetype. And the other one is the Fantastic Four archetype, which is here's a bunch of people who are kind of put together to circumstance and they love each other, but they're going to fight amongst themselves a lot, which is the X-Men archetype. It's the JLI archetype. It's the Suicide Squad archetype. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I mean, for lack of a better term, it's the family team. Yeah. Even if they're not necessarily related to each other, there's the team that works a lot more like a family. And there's the team that works a lot more like a task force. So yes. to speak, like a committee yeah. trying to solve a problem. And then the the kind of apotheosis of that idea is what we get in this book's namesake, which is we get the the 21st century team, which is the ultimates. It's the authority. It's the authority model where it's like, well, hey, these are assholes. <laughs> well, I think the ultimates even more than the authority, though, are the post 9-11 militarized military squad team. Yes. Which yes, which was a new thing. Well, I mean, it's it's young blood, but yeah. <laughs> well, of course, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. You're right. <laughs> I mean, I mean, look, I I never want to take away the fact that Rob did that in 1992 or 93. You know, yeah. I mean, you're you're not wrong about that. Um, I I mean, I technically, I guess you can even take that back to like X Force. Yeah, where it was more of like a tactical, uh, team than than the family style X Men team. Mm-hmm. But the, okay, arguably the ultimates didn't do it in, in a new way. But the ultimates, I, I would, I, as you said, I think is the apotheosis of it. Yes, it's it's the ultimate example of what that book is, or what that style is. But one really great thing about this book is how it rejects the militarized um idea of a team. Yeah. If anything, this team is making the sort of traditional power structure nervous. Yeah, and so it tries to build the new superhero team archetype, which is going to be we do not just fight, we do not just punch Galactus in the face. You know, like the, the Galactus story is a mission statement. It's like everyone expects us to fight this guy because that's all we've done before, and that doesn't work. He just so, comes back. He just yeah. comes back. Yeah. And the and the downfall of the team is when Thanos shows up and that's what they have to do. They have to they have to fight him, just like yeah. they always do. Yeah. And they fuck up. Yeah. It's it's good comics, Matt. It's good comics. Yeah. And and it even takes a typical comic story catalyst, in this case, War Machine dying. Mm-hmm. And that is the reason why they end up fucking up, why they end up falling back into old habits and ultimately fucking up is because ultimately, oh, uh, end up fucking up because they have to do the thing that they said they wouldn't do at the beginning. Um, Okay. So what, what neighborhood of the list do you think we could put this story in? Is it top 100 material? 
I mean, it's really good. And we've talked a lot about the story, but I do want to say um, I like Kenneth Rockefeller a lot. I think there are certain stories that lend themselves well to his art style. Like, but I think as as one of the dudes who got started on like like Top Cow books, which have a certain reputation, and I first became aware of him for doing Paul Dini's Madame Mirage. Uh, he definitely has a like this is a big shift for him to do a book that has Galactus in it and that has Black Panther. And I think he really does a great job. He gives the book a visual identity. I really like the way he draws Carol. I really like the way he draws uh, Miss America. They're not the, I, 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 you know, Top Cow's done some good books, but you know, <laughs> yeah, they're not what you expect. I, I mean, I kind of associate his art style with the new 52 for better or worse. Mm hmm. Because he was, if he wasn't the original Red Hood and the Outlaws artist, he was the second one. Mm-hmm. And he did Teen Titans during that period. Um, he also drew some of those New 52 Superman comics. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I associate him with. And I was really pleasantly surprised by how well he did on this. Uh, yeah. I think it works really well. Um, I do think, you know, it's easy to imagine um, this book with with maybe a different art style and maybe it having a more distinctive look um, that would would carry it through a little in, into into people's memories a little better, maybe. But I don't think it's I don't think the art's a liability. No, I, I, I don't think it's a liability at all. Uh, I, I think Rockefeller does a really good job, and then I think Christian Ward obviously is, you know, specializes yeah. in cosmic stuff and is like really good on the Galactus issues. Every time there's a, a fill in or a shift in art, it really works well, which is not something that we ran into with uh, Uncanny X Force, for example. Like it felt like a hard shift. Yeah, here it feels like. There is, if there's not necessarily a reason for it, it feels like Ewing, as a scripter, is working with his artists. There's a particular page, uh, and it's an issue that's mostly fill-in art, but, you know, uh, Kenneth Rockefeller comes back and does, like, a splash page of, like, something happening with Thanos or Galactus or, like, something big that ties into what has gone before. And so... The other stuff is all a very different focus, and then the Kenneth Rockefeller stuff is is right back to the big cosmic stuff that we started with. So my my eye immediately goes to two spots mm-hmm. on the list, both in the top one hundred. And I don't know that this is as good as either of these, but I think they're good points of to start with for comparison. Uh, first is at number 56 and number 57, we have top 10 numbers 1 through 12 and Runaways Volume 1. Uh-huh. Both of which are team books that do a new thing. And then two spots below that is the Gillen McKelvey Young Avengers, which I think also falls into that category. Yeah. Uh, th- the thing is, when you say is it top 100, number 100 right now is Mage the Hero Discovered. I mm-hmm. do not know if the, this book is that good. 
Yeah, I would I would maybe agree with that. The other like, spot that I was going to point out is number 67, which is Next Wave, which is another like new take on a team book. Um I think all of those are better than this. Yeah. Uh something I think is is very comparable is at 96, Tom Strong. Yeah. Uh this book if you if you like Tom Strong, you'll probably like The Ultimates. But again, I think Tom Strong has a unity of vision and purpose and aesthetic that this book and Chris Chris Prowse, who is extremely good. Um, But I don't think it's too far out of this. Uh, The problem is that it's a very top heavy list. Well, another team book that does a new thing is ecstatics at number one Oh five. And then we've got Alan Moore's wildcats at one seventeen, which is very much a, not necessarily like a a prototype of this book, but I think it is a natural progression from Justice League to Suicide Squad or X Men to Suicide Squad to uh, Alan Moore's Wildcats to the Ultimates. I think this is better than Alan Moore's Wildcats. That, that's bold. That is bold. I don't it's disagree, bold, but, but that I, is bold. I, I feel like that might be our floor. Uh, then I then I think Ecstatics is our ceiling. Ecstatics yeah, is real good. Yeah. Um, as I'm looking at this, I could probably put this between the two lock and key stories we have in this area, which is Volume Five, Clockworks, and Volume uh, one, one, Welcome to Lovecraft. Yeah. So then the question is: Is this better than Green Arrow Year One or Saga Volume One? I think it's probably better than Green Arrow Year One, which is a very good book. Okay, then entering the list at the new number 112 is The Ultimates by Al Ewing and Kenneth Roquefort and others uh, twenty of 2015. Yeah. That's a very good placement for that. I mean, this book is how we got ISO 8 in the Marvel Universe. Now, do we want to also rank Excalibur 1 through 18? Oh, yeah. Okay, or are we just we doing the cross-time caper? Let's just do the cross-time caper. Okay. Uh, it is extremely bad. <laughs> I, I hesitate to say extremely bad. Uh, Matt, do you want to go back and read that um, uh, Dirty Pair Speed Racer issue again real quick? Okay, and, that's, and the one, that's the one that I had to skim. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that is the worst example of the bunch. I mean, yeah, like, you know, just if you want to go back and read that and then get back to me. I think there are also a lot of fun moments in there, though. I really do. Uh, I was the one who did not like it the most. Yeah. Let's see. Um, I'm, I've got uh, old Marvel Unlimited pulled up here. Uh, sort by oldest first. We can get back to the beginning. Um, boy, oh, boy. Boy. Oh boy. That Warlord of Mars issue, Matt. I mean, look, it's not the best. The the one where um where uh Jamie Braddock is playing with his playing with his action figures, and neither of us understood what was happening <laughs> in that comic. Okay. I I I have scrolled down to number seven fifty, which is Legends. I think Legends is better. 
Okay, below that is Lee Kirby X-Men, which I think we have to give the edge to for historical significance. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I certainly think Marvel Zombies is more entertaining. Okay, and bl- I know you like Bloodstone a lot. No, Bloodstone is very stupid, but I do like it. I would rather read Excalibur again than Wolverine Origin, though. You don't want to read about Little Lucky Jim? It's it's very melodramatic, Chris. You want to read about Dog? <laughs> <laughs> There's that kid you think is Wolverine, but then it's actually the other kid? You don't want to read about how Wolverine knew a pretty girl with red hair when he was, like, a kid, and then he had let his memories lost, and so now he saw a different redhead who was pretty, and he was like, I'm in love with her. <laughs> like, that's why. Yeah. Here's the thing about Wolverine Origin. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember anything that happened after the first issue? Can't say as I do. Yeah. Nah, I, I think Dog came back, and I think he, he might have killed that, that girl, I whose think name I do not recall. I think you are right. I think that's pretty much what happened. But uh, all, everything of note that happens in Origin happens in the first issue. Can I talk you into putting this below the Action Comics annual where Superman and Batman fight vampires in South Carolina? No. I think we're going to put... <laughs> Excalibur between Bloodstone and Wolverine Origin is where we're putting it. Look, I I I got a lot of heat for my opinions, so I guess I'm going to give it to you on this one, but under protest. Uh, so that's Excalibur, the Cross Time Caper. Okay. Yeah, that ends <laughs> number seven hundred and fifty-four. Chris added in parentheses. Ugh. All right, that's yeah, going to do it for I'll, us. I'll tell you. Where I would have put this. Okay. Uh, it would have gone above Flashpoint at 869 because it didn't break anything. Yeah. Uh, but it definitely would have gone below Avengers The Crossing, which did break something, but is crazy enough to be good. Avengers The Crossing is real bad. That's where Tony Stark was mind-controlled by Kang all these years and had murdered people, and so they kill him and then replace him with Teen Tony from an alternate universe. That's the very same, very one. Kids these days don't know about the crossing, Matt. Well, that's why we're here, to teach them. All right. That's it. We talked about Ultimates. We, we liked it. We caught up on Ultimates. We ranked some Excalibur. We will be back in May with maybe Ultimates 2. Or maybe a different book. Uh, we'll, we'll run some through the old Polatron. If we don't do Ultimates 2... I really think we ought to do a DC book because we've done three Marvel books in a row. So I say either either a DC book or, or a non like non big two book. We've got some image books that um, we've been asked about. So maybe mm-hmm. we'll... Omega Men was a strong contender. Omega Men uh, was a strong contender. We we were sent uh, the series Nameless, yeah, to read. So we'll include those in the poll. Those that's three poll entries right away. Omega Men, Nameless, and Ultimates 2. So mm-hmm. we just need one more. Um, so if you have an idea for something we could include in the poll, uh, hit us up with it. These Comics Catch-Up episodes are made possible by our supporters on Patreon. Head over to patreon.com slash Ajax and kick in as little as $1 a month to make sure that you get one every month. And yes, we're retooling as we go. We hope that you enjoyed 
this one where we liked a thing. We really do. I really liked it. And I hope you liked listening to this. Before we get out of here, Chris, uh, any any final words of wisdom? Uh, read, read The Ultimates if you haven't. It's exceptionally good. Yeah, just make sure that it's The Ultimates from 2015. We cannot guarantee the quality of any other book titled The Ultimates. Until May, everybody. See you soon. Thanks for catching up.